Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi everyone, and my guest today is psychologist Dr. Sarah Sarkis. We had such an amazing conversation. Listen, I probably talk too much because you know, you know how you have so many questions for yourself. You're like, okay, well, I do this wrong. Can we talk about that? And she does this incredible balance of like classical therapy, neurobiology, functional medicine. We talked a ton about looking at qualities of, of sort of good mental health. What keeps showing up is a high tolerance for ambiguity. This one doesn't go over well for me. And uh, high psychological flexibility. And, and even how do we create these gaps? Like from when something hits us to when we respond, how do we make that space just a little bigger? You know, this emotional agility. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I love is she talks about, hey, all these other practices that we can put in place to support us because we're never gonna get it right. And I think that this is the most important thing for me that I'm trying to have in all these conversations. Yes, what are some skills we can develop? You know, like sleep, nutrition, exercise, hydration, recovery how we say things. Like I was saying like, oh, I'm trying to teach my kids to control themselves. And she's like, no, how about self-regulate? So it's in all these little nuances that we can make improvements, but also to try to take the onus off of feeling that we're supposed to know, or that somebody does know, or that people are doing it perfect, or that we need to present, you know, this everything under control, perfect thing. I think the sooner we can debunk all this and really just take a look and enjoy the things in our life the things that are, you know, the obvious good, but even the painful and the hard and the sad. And uh, I just had such a fun conversation with her. I learned a lot and I hope you enjoy. Okay, Dr. Sarah Sarkis, I, this is, you know, I love to do interviews in person because I just, I really, first of all, appreciate being able to spend the time, but um, you are on the East Coast and we are all in COVID right now. So thank you for joining me. And we actually met um, on a different panel. We were talking about, well, we were talking about a lot of things, but I thought that was uh, some of the input that we were talking about around parenting which, you know, people talk about fear and I feel like those things go like side by side. <laughs> yeah. You never feel fear. Like the first time you're taking your baby home, you're like, what the fuck have yeah. I done? <laughs> and yeah. It's just every, I didn't notice how fast everyone drives on the road. Like when you, Oh my God, that's so funny. Work. That's what my brother-in-law said when we delivered my son, he was like, watch how slow you drive home on the road. More importantly, watch how fast everybody else drives. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. I, I'm not going to avoid parenting today. Uh, I will share a little, and actually I'll share it right now. Why not? So I have at home a 12-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old daughter, which are very interesting times. And um, we actually have a grown daughter too as well. But um, last night uh, we had no power. And, you know, I think sometimes the nesting impulse gets is stronger than we think, even if we're, we think that stuff doesn't impact us. But it, I, I, at times you can get off kilter just by the power being out all day, right? Like for women, especially, it's like, oh, now you're out of control. You're off your routine, things like that. So I got in bed and this does not happen often to me. But I had this wave of like, I've just blown it, all of it. I just blew the whole thing. I thought, oh, the marriage is pretty good. <laughs> but on the parenting, an anchor. the parenting front, I was like, oh, for the last 20 years, I, I, I wish I could get a redo and it doesn't happen often. And my husband picked up on it. Laird was like, what's wrong? I go, oh, yeah, nothing. Cause I wasn't going to get into it. So this morning I was sitting there and I was like, sometimes you, you, you're walking in the dark house and you go to check on a kid and all of a sudden, and maybe I've had a, you know, we've been going through something, the 12 year old, I mean, they just, things come up and you're like, I have a 12 year old oh. as well. Yeah. You have a boy. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. They're just, it, they're complex. I mean, at, all children are complex. And, and, and the thing is, it's just so important. But the interesting thing for me was the contrast. And I bet you've experienced this when the outside world tells me, oh, like you've gotten some things figured out. Like, oh, you, your, your fitness and this and that. Then you not only feel like a bigger fraud, but then you feel like the most important thing you're doing, the most intimate thing you're doing, being a parent. And you're just like, I wish I could get all the years back and do it over. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think probably every parent is like nodding their head and, and thinking to themselves, oh my God, thank God I'm not, it's not just me. I'm not totally alone in that uh, recurring, you know, nightmare. But a couple of things. First is you had the wherewithal to not talk about it last night. Right. Yeah, so the, I- the the space to kind of know that like you needed to just like marinate for a minute um, and that maybe talking about it would make it worse last night than today. And that kind of comes with wisdom and self-regulation and all the kinds of things that come from just years in the trenches, like the trenches of marriage, the trenches of parenthood and the trenches of our own relationship with ourself really. But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I think we touched on this the last time that the thing is, is that all the good stuff in parenting, and in fact, statistically, the majority of parenting kind of happens in the friction, right? Most of the time, we only knock it out of the park about 30% of the time. And so, you know, there's some kind of like transformative humility in that overwhelm. And sometimes it's really important. Like I know that I've had times where I've just known that it was like, like the bases were loaded and I took like a major swing and failed. I just like, it just didn't even get a base hit. And, you know, sometimes it's important to reflect on that, like where it all kind of went wrong in that scenario. But the existential angst, I think is just part of like, it just is like part of what becoming a parent is. And I think becoming a parent is like a lifelong process. It's not the moment the kid is born. You know, that's some initiation. But 
the becoming and the unfolding of the relationship that takes place within that space called parenthood is, you know, a lifelong process. My husband, um, you know, he says that parenting is for the parents to grow up. That's what I call it, parenting. He says, they don't call it kidding. He goes, I actually think it's our process of actually growing up. And I agree more. He said to me today, as I was sitting having coffee with like, you know, weepy eyes, uh, but, but not like a big deal. Just like, Hey, I'm going to throw it out on the counter so I can look at my feelings. And then you realize like, it's okay. And he goes, I don't know that any parent and any mom in the history of time hasn't probably felt like that. But even though you know it, you know, you're the one, you have all the information, you specifically. I mean, you talk to people, you help them, you get them. It's when you get yeah. there, when you're there. And I, oh, and it's I, the loneliest place in the world. But I know that you probably have the skill set and the practice that you, you do sit with it or marinate. And then you think, oh, it's a long story. It's going to be okay, the metric, whatever. And you have all the data circling in your brain. How do you deal with your heart? Like, how do you, you know, because there's a, d- a difference of like, I know all this stuff. And then when it's you and it's your son, what do you do with your heart just to kind of roll through it? Or how do you? Yeah, that's such a great question. And yes, everybody experiences it. And also, like, by the way, being a shrink um, is of zero benefit in my real life. Like, somehow all of it's forgotten and I'm just like a, you know, poor slob trying to figure it out like the rest of us. So, you know, for me over the years, the challenge has been, first of all, because I'm somebody who can like, sort of like, uh, I can be like pretty compartmentalized, like this happens here and this happens here. and then. The years that I was strictly a therapist, you know, you create such boundaries to be ethical, to be confidential. It's really a very different type of relationship. In many ways, it reinforced these qualities that I had. So for me, the most important stage, like in my 30s, was like almost reintegrating with that capacity to just like be okay that it doesn't feel okay. Like just sort of being in that space of like, you know, like I'll figure it out, but I don't feel all right about my relationship with being a mother right now, right? And then for me, and this is true, if we take parenting, which is, you know, I've said this before, but it's like 18 rounds with our shadow self. Your husband's completely right. All of our unconscious attachment patterns come out to roost. I mean, they just start showing up in these replications and some are beautiful and some are horrifying. And hopefully we have the wisdom to distinguish and try to change the tides of our generational pulls, even just slightly. 1% is Herculean. Change it 1% in your family and it's Herculean. But for me, it's really, if we take parenting simply as a metaphor, so anytime you really just feel like you don't have anything left in you, and what you gave kind of might not been enough. Um, for me, it's like, it's movement, sunlight, connection, nutrition and hydration, and stillness. And inside of stillness, I would put sleep and meditation, but stillness, like some version, the, the worst case scenario, the worst outcome is if 
in response to that intensity, you then start avoiding it. Oh, I don't feel that. Oh, I'm going to just like, you know, numb that out. That will always yield very little return on investment. And it gets costlier and costlier. You have to continue to avoid, you have to continue to narrow your aperture because your, your, your capacity to tolerate that intensity atrophies. Why do you think people, you know, I, I live with somebody who's like, clear the decks, clear the decks, how he feels, you see it, there's no hiding it. And our family at times, I have to be honest, sometimes I think we're actually unpleasant in a certain way to be around because it's like, it's just all out there, right? Like you don't come over and go, how are you, you know, like if we're not in the mood, we're not going to be acting extra puffy and fluffy. It's like, we're not going to, you know, be yielding swords and, you know, be psycho and such a big surprise, but sometimes just really acting how you feel with sort of some, you know, cohabitational diplomacy, if you will. Uh-huh. So you're not taking your crap out on everybody, but just sort of saying like, this is where I am. I mean, it's hard. And, and so, like I said, sometimes it's almost like, wow, you guys, nobody's like a lot of fun around here sometimes, but I wonder what happens. Is it programming in your childhood or it's personality? I mean, it's maybe a download where people, because I feel like we've destigmatized. I'm having a bad day. I don't know what to do. My life isn't perfect. My relationship isn't perfect. I feel like that's gotten blown out of the water. That why people still would try to avoid. What, what is yeah. that? It's such a great question. Um, and it's like one of my favorite things to talk about because actually it's going to sound very grim, but there's a pocket of hope tucked on the other side. But, you know, so when we look at psychological traits and you're right, in, in the last 10 years, my field, the field of sort of coaching and consulting and self-help has really done this service, which is that we have begun to have honest conversation that makes a lot of our human foibles not so pathologic, like not everything is anxiety. Like, is it pathologic anxiety if it's informative and you should be anxious? Like, should we be distant from that anxiety, right? So like, should we pathologize grief? Should people be able to feel grief and depression, you know, in the wake of loss, trauma, et cetera, without it being like a disorder, right? So I think this conversation has been super helpful. And the truth is, in psychology, there are very few conditions or behaviors that are actually sort of, there are none that are strictly genetic. And there's only a few that even kind of get to the 50-yard line where you really think, okay, if you have a first-degree relative, it's pretty much, you know, uh, it's a jump ball now. Um, And those are really relegated to like schizophrenia and some other kind of major, major mental illnesses which are complex and they, they're multi-systemed in the brain. I was Anxiety gonna say, and avoidance I, isn't. I was going to say something like schizophrenia. Is that like a chemistry, really? Like it ends up being a chemistry? Because I think most think, of, yes. Or my and, brain- and the environment. So the genetics loads the gun. Mm-hmm. And often the environment pulls that trigger. So I'm not saying if you have a first degree relative and you know definitively that there is a, you have a first degree aunt or a parent that has schizophrenia. I'm not saying your offspring or you are destined to develop it. That, that's not what's being said here. But let's say you have first degree relative, right? And then you have a ton of trauma. You have instability. 
You maybe have a family system that's struggling and orbiting around substance abuse, which is a vortex in and of itself that changes our attachment patterns and it changes our epigenetic structure. Gabor Mate really has um, broken this conversation wide open. Other experts like Body Keeps the Score, Vander Kolk, right? Really, really starting to understand how what happens to us imprints on our epigenetic expressions, and then these vulnerabilities can become unlocked. But there is a high correlation. It's what I would say is a very, you are very susceptible. Like if I work with somebody and I hear uh, that there's major, major mental illness in their history, I'll often have sort of very frank, especially now, I'll have really frank conversations with them about like plant medicine ceremonies and things that can take the brain in a place that there may not be any coming back for you, where there may be for your same, your best friend who you're going to go do this with in Brazil. And, you know, so there are these genetic propensities, anxiety and depression. It's an epidemic, or let's just take anxiety because you specifically were asking about avoidance. So. Anxiety, you know, it's an epidemic. We have 60 million Americans that have anxiety disorders. That language gets tricky when you look at how many anxiety disorders there are. But nonetheless, avoidance is a tactic that what I I usually untangle in my therapy practice, I've sort of moved increasingly, um, that's how we met up, right? Sort of more toward kind of positive psychology and wellness stuff. But I have a private practice, a small one, where I'm still sort of dwelling in that world. And what I usually untangle, the the human learns through modeling. It starts really epigenetically at gestation. It begins sort of in earnest interpersonally at birth. And it carries on throughout a lifetime within our nuclear family. And then as it widens right around 12, kids start to widen that circle. It gets wider and wider, right? And we watch wordlessly, this is all unconscious. We watch our parents do and how they operate. And then we pick up on these patterns. We pick up on styles of communication. Is it an avoidant style of communication? Do we sweep everything under the rug? What does mom and dad do when they feel anxious? Is it the wordless stuff, right? Get a pill, get a cocktail, get a cigarette, get a, these imprint on us. And we're all human. So our parents are doing the best they can, just like we are. But really what I find is that avoidant patterns happen through a long, a long process of watching people in our life avoid. And then here's the thing, the avoider ends up enabling the next generation to avoid in their own way. They enable them, right? So ever had a kid who has a lot of social anxiety and they don't want to go to, you know, they don't want to go to something or they get nervous, right? And sort of a couple times you're like, don't worry about it. You can just cancel, right? I want you to be comfortable. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. But if that pattern gets set, you could inadvertently be reinforcing like, hey, when you feel nervous, that's your body telling you to avoid it. And then they grow up and they play these factors out over and over and over again. And at the epicenter of real 
technical, the technical term for chronic avoidance is phobias. It's chronically avoiding something to the point that you won't do it at all. And, you know, when, when you're in the orbit of really life limiting avoidance, you have no control over it anymore. And yet all you want is control. You are trying so hard to control everything, and yet you have no control over it. The phobias end up controlling you. Mm. It's so okay. I try my best to sort of feel like there's a thousand ways to skin the cat, but then I'll just you you know talk personally on some of it. So I've had instances with with my own kids where, again, we're pretty confrontational in the house and. You'll be observing, especially a child that's a little bit older, so they're becoming their own self person. And you'll be witnessing something, and you you kind of know that it's a. And I don't mean like necessarily drugs and alcohol, but it's a level of experimentation. Maybe that they're going through. They're thirteen. They're twelve. They're sixteen. Whatever. And this has really been an interesting thing. I don't really. I don't always know at all, actually, how to navigate it. It's like, sometimes I'll say, okay, um, is everything okay? Or I'll do a check-in. And then there's times where I'm like, I kind of know this is going on and I'm going to let it roll. Like, it's a weird thing where I go, well, now am I just, am I not getting into it? Am I allowing them to go through this experience because it's sort of part of learning? I think sometimes there's a really interesting push and pull where you don't know, like, because our thing is, I'm trying really hard not to at all live up my kids' colon because totally they have to go out in the world and drive the ship. And so if I'm like, how are your grades? And did you, t-? I mean, yeah, we check in, we shed light on stuff. Is your homework done? Did you da da da? My kids are like, how, my one daughter's like, how come you don't care about grades? I go, I care about you doing your best. And if you want to get good grades, then you will. And if you don't, me just driving you is like a pretend thing of now you have good grades, the outcome, but the, it wasn't really you who wanted to do it. And it's even like with sports, it's like, Hey, if we commit to the thing, we're going to do the thing. But if you don't want to do the sport, I'm not your coach. I'm your mom. You know, these kinds of things. I'd rather have other conversations about like communication, self-respect, you know, just motivation. Yeah. And like, what do you want? Like, what what do you want? But I will say sometimes there's these fuzzy little dark corners especially as they get older, where you're like, I'm going to let that roll. Like I, and I, you just, you never know though. Cause you're secretly, oh, you never know. You're secretly uncomfortable. Like, oh yeah. But then you don't like, know if like, this is the line on which you're like, oh my God. Okay. I see that, you know, no. And you never know. I mean, I feel like that you never know is like one of the things that makes parenting so rattling. Like it rattles the cages because you really don't know. You just don't know. But a couple things that you're saying in there, which is that far and away, trying to encourage our kids to think through their own problems, to think about sort of just behavior and consequences, right? Teaching them how to, because children's brains, our brains don't stop developing until our kind of mid-20s. And the most critical place around like decision-making, frustration tolerance, impulse control, ironically, in a like, a, you know, a horrible twist, develops last. And so you're really, I mean, parents who are trying to 
help their children develop that by doing it naturally do have to create, I think about it as like, you have to give them a little bit of leash because if you don't give them enough leash, it has to be age appropriate, right? Maybe if you thought, let's say, let's, let's make up something hypothetical. I'll, I'll use my own kid as a hypothetical. He's 12. You know, look, if I thought it was like drugs and alcohol and he was experimenting at 10 or 11 or 12, but as they get up into later ages, there is something, there is an experimentation that becomes somewhat necessary in them building their own boundaries around kind of what they're going to consider acceptable. And it is a slippery slope. But, you know, we, we see definitively now that the children of the generation that had helicopter parents, while the parents' intentions were full of love, it can't be that there is a sect of parents out there who have woken up and thought, I'm going to try to, you know, demolish good decision making. I'm going to try to make them neurotically incapable of handling anxiety, have no capacity for multitasking, not be able. They, they didn't think this way. They, this is coming from love. But we see now there's that book and I'm going to sort of like bastardize what it's about. But it's about that school in Northern California where the kids and I think there's a study out of Stanford University where college freshmen are having the hardest time adapting because the level of freedom is so starkly different than the level of sort of tentacles and control that the parents were having all the way up to when they left for college. I'm somebody who I try to run a tight ship around some core principles, truthfulness, honest, like straightforward, like taking responsibility. I'm all right if you fuck up. Like I do it before I get my feet on the ground in the morning, you know? So like, I'm all right with kind of all of that. If there's like principles that are in place, I'm a big fan of like a long leash. I have a blog, if people are interested, where like, I really sort of had this experience with my son around age nine, where I just realized that I was going to have to let him fail. I was going to have to let him quit stuff. I was going to have to let him be crippled by, you know, he had his own anxiety around stuff, around sports. I was going to have to let him do that and not rescue him, including there's this one time in, a, in the car he had like sat out in this game because he felt sick. It was just nerves. And the coach sort of tried to get him to go in, get in, go in, it'll get better. And he wouldn't. And on the ride home, we had this really interesting exchange. It was really quiet. I just sort of put my arm around him as we walked to the car. I didn't say much. Probably 10 minutes into a 20-minute car ride home. And he said, I'm ashamed of myself. And I had this intersection where I could either be like, no, 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 don't, don't. Or I could say that I understood and I had been there a million times myself. And that this too shall pass and it will pass quicker if you sort of figure out kind of what can you control about this, right? And it was transformative for he and I. So I'm with you on that long leash. It is a really, really delicate, it's a delicate space. It's like, you don't know because we're driving blind in the most important job we have in our life. Anytime I can use a natural product for maybe some aches and pains, 
Um, but really sleep is a big one for me. I'm always talking about the importance of sleep, but I'm continuously trying to figure out ways to sleep better. So whether it's my mind is busy or I just don't get into that rhythm, I feel like when you get out of the rhythm, somehow you're always trying to figure out the way. So I've been using Ned products for a couple of months now. I've been using their sleep blend um, for that very purpose. And, and you'll hear CBD is super popular now, which is great because you've got this sort of natural alternative to doing something for yourself with you know no downside. However, it's confusing. And then you go, well, who's doing it right? Who's doing the process right? Who's giving me these high level quality ingredients? Well, Ned is definitely that company doing it right. And you'll hear some of the benefits of CBD like sleep, anti-inflammation. Uh, some people use it for anxiety, uh, depression. There's even, you know, you can talk to your doctor, but some people are even using it for chronic conditions such as epilepsy, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and a few others. So that's really cool. They have some beauty products. They've got hemp-infused body butter. So if you're looking for a premium, doing it right, top-to-bottom company in the CBD space, Net is it. They've got zero isolates or synthetic ingredients, full transparency. So they share their third-party lab reports. They want you to know who's farming their products, their extraction process, because even that, you've got to do that right to get that efficacy. Their full-spectrum hemp oil, it's only got two ingredients, full-spectrum hemp oil extract and a non-GMO organic MCT oil, and that's it. So if you want to check out Ned, go to helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com. They got a great offer for you today. Um, if you do it with slash Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y, or just go ahead and put in Gabby at checkout, they will give you 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order. They've got this really cool program called the Ned North Star Membership. So you'll never pay full price. They'll give you, you know, a look at some of their limited uh, products They've got some gift offers, some free wellness consultation. Um, it's a great program and, you know, it's easy to join, but you're not, you know, committed to anything. So go to helloned.com slash Gabby for that savings and check out their line of beautiful products. My hope is to always talk about companies that not only are doing great business, with the highest quality ingredients or the most conscientious practices, but that can serve you. And that's why I'm again excited to talk to you about Sakara. It is a nutrition company and they focus on overall wellness, but they say, you know, it starts with what you eat. And that is so, so true. And it's really hard, you know, to prepare healthy meals that also taste good. Because even when things are really healthy, nobody's gonna do it all the time if it doesn't taste great. And with Sakara, you can reach your healthy goals without sacrificing taste. They have a menu of ready-to-eat chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, and it changes weekly, so you won't get bored. I know, I, you know, we all get bored. I get bored with my own cooking. And it delivers fresh anywhere in the US. And with the holidays coming, maybe there's extra stress. Um, maybe you're trying to, you know, get really disciplined before um, and try to keep that discipline through the holidays. Listen, you can even offer this as an incredible present, maybe not to yourself only, but to some of your loved ones. Because at the end of the day, you know, this great health, what better gift is there? And this is, they are offering you something very, very special. They do this, you're getting access to their only sale of the year with 25% site-wide. And all you have to do is punch in the code Gabby Early Access, G-A-B-B-Y-E-A-R-L-Y-A-C-E-S-S. 
So head to Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com and you can punch in Gabby Early Access at checkout to get 25% off your entire order. I mean, that is a Merry Christmas if I've ever heard one. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays, subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and and the birds papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. I read a book years and years ago that I was so grateful I did because in, in it, they were talking about, you know, to your point, not, not only not fixing, but just acknowledging like, oh, that must've been tough. Or why were you feeling like that? Because the impulse is to protect, save, you know, let me tell you why you shouldn't feel like that. You should feel good. Cure the avoidance. Yeah. When we, when earlier when we said, how do people learn avoidance? Yeah. These are the subtle unconscious ways. Yeah. I was I had an invitation to my son. You can feel this. Yeah. And you can still you can get back out there. Tomorrow's a new day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I so, don't want to interrupt you, no, but that's no. how avoidance. But there's a nuance where okay, I'll let's say one of my daughters and it's one specifically cuz the others just have different personalities. She I call her the aggressive victim. Like she'll aggress and then you'll stand up and then you'll, then she flips on her back and she'll be a victim. And I'm like, listen, you can't be the aggressor and the victim. Like it's the worst. And actually I always tell my girls, don't be a liar and don't be a victim in your life as, especially yeah. as a female, as leave, a female, don't play those cards. You're not a victim. Stop doing And they're that. available to you all the time. At any moment, like manipulation, which is lying and then victim. Right. So I go, let's, I mean, since they were little, I'm like, no liars, no victims, right? Because then you're not in charge. Hey, I don't like that. I don't, I, I want to navigate around that. But if you're manipulating or being the victim, but anyway, so she, she does this a little bit and she has this trait and I see it. And so I try to use the technique where I do listen, like, oh, she says I'm feeling, because she'll use it sort of at a, interesting times, like, oh, I'm feeling, and they have all the verbiage. That's the other thing with kids now. And I, and I, I want to get in, like, I'm anxious. Or, You're not honoring my feelings. I'm like, okay, with your, you know, psycho babble, like rhetoric, what show were you watching? Like, literally, because they're way more equipped with a dialogue. I mean, I'm surprised she doesn't say unpack her feelings. But anyway, <laughs> I, I wondered, like. She will now. Sometimes, like. <laughs> Let's unpack mm. this. It's like, no, let's pack it and sh- stop it. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> and especially like when it's at bedtime, they're like, oh, I'm, yeah. like, you, I'm like, you could be anxious at 6.30. It can't be every night at 8.30. This, okay. So here's, here's my question. <laughs> sometimes it's like, I'm going to listen. And then sometimes it's like, oh, this is just too much bullshit to handle. Like sometimes at what, it's this weird in, thing of at some point, it's also telling your kids straight, like, hey, you are manipulating and now, or it's enough already. Like maybe let's take a different scenario. Maybe they're not manipulating you. Maybe they're going on about a situation and you go, oh yeah, that must be hard. But then at some point it's like, okay. They're let's, just marinating. Like wrap it up, you know, like, so, cause I feel like you need to be a little bit of the real world. Also, you need to show a little bit of what the real world looks like in your home, at least a little I agree. I mean, I grew up in like a phone, like a literally like a 
you know, I was the youngest of six. My parents believed in, you know, spanking as a way to get compliance. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, I, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Right? They thought violence was a means to get compliance, right? At the end of my, at the end of my mother's life, she did say that was one of her biggest regrets, by the way, for people out there. But I'm sort of much more along the lines of you. And I think for anybody listening, and by the way, this is true of any, a team needs leaders, period. If you don't have leaders, it's like unswaddling a child at birth and never giving them containment again. It's a surefire way to have them overwhelmed. And when a child is overwhelmed, they, we are feral. We are born feral. And anybody who's a parent knows this. But if you're listening and you're not a parent, it, you, you have a team, you have an organization, whatever it is, there is this fine line where you have to call bullshit on bullshit. And like one of the ways that I do it with my kid who seems to always have his existential crises at 8.20 when bedtime's at 8.30. So I always say to him, look, we can go upstairs and read together and hang out or we can, you know, wax poetic about your space in life. But at 8.30, the lights are going off whether or not it's settled. And I will pick up with you about this first thing tomorrow morning. Mm. I will give you space at breakfast. And if you feel this way tomorrow, it's a good litmus test. Sleep on it. You know how you could sleep on it the other night Mm -hmm. when Laird said blah, 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 right? So I'm modeling like, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe it's just tonight. And, you know, I've told him, you know, it's interesting to me that you only have these experiences at bedtime. I'm wondering if maybe, would you like me to check in at 6.30? If you're having these feelings, so we will have more time. So I think there's ways to do both. And also, here's the thing. Most of us, when our kids are truly emotionally distraught, it's not subtle. We know it. We feel, no, we don't know it. We feel it. It's a whole body experience, especially as mothers. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, children that have, two dads, that, that, that there's not somebody who is equally as intuitive and tapped in. I can only speak from being a mom, right? right. And right. for me, he was like a single cell inside of me at one point. And somehow, I don't actually feel that that last sort of connection has, has ever actually been separated just because he's separate. I feel like there is a feeling when I've really felt like, okay, he's totally like he just needs time. Um, so, you know, tune into that. And here's the other thing as parents, as anything, right? Whatever you're leading, whatever you're invested in the outcome of, this is why your own process of like taking care of yourself in my game, it's self awareness, resiliency, self regulation. That is why it's so important because most of the critical parenting intersections. I would say most of our business intersections, our career stuff for me, my client work, it's all in the nuances. Everything's down deep in those nuances. The words are mostly noise. Behavior betrays us all the time. But there's, you know, there's something else that with practice, we can be in touch with it inside of ourselves, 
and we can have it between us mm-hmm. with people. Yeah, I I have to confess when you when you talk about that, I because I'm very ferocious about my self care real estate. I always have Thank been, you. just because I know that I it's not going to end well. I'm going to leave or I'm whatever. I'll be Gary Busey by Tuesday. No, would be my thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. and and um, I'm always fascinated by parents that really do give up everything. Like they, they sit at gymnastics practice for five hours and they, I'm like, I'm, I'm jealous a little, I feel more selfish. Um, but that's another show, but there is times when it is feeling like it's turning into a shit show at the house where I go from being the person behind pushing everyone forward. Cause I feel like that's what we do. We kind of pick up and like keep everybody moving along. And then I have this a reaction where I go, I say, you know what, there's a part of me that wants to pop out front and just tell everyone, keep up because now serving everybody is not working. So now I'm going to go to the front and it's going to be like, no, this is how it is. It's clear. I'm moving forward. Everybody keep up. And it's a weird, subtle adjustment where everyone goes, oh, even your partner, I have a great husband who pays way attention and participates, but sometimes it's like, Hey, everybody like this is a benevolent dictatorship. Let's go in line. Yeah. And so I just want to say like, cause I think it's a really uncomfortable thing for females to do, but I think sometimes it's essential to at some point snap your fingers and go, you know what, everybody let's snap out of whatever thing we're in. Let's move forward. Let's get our shit together. Let's go. But this kind of leads me to, um, in getting ready for this interview, I, I mean, there's just so many things I'm fascinated with. And, um, and I do really appreciate, I, I just would like to verbally say this, Anna, is you talk about yours as like a mixture of like classical therapy, you know, kind of coaching and consulting empowerment, like so functional medicine and like neurology all mixing. And I think this is such an incredible representation of where this is all moved to, where if you're sitting there talking to me about okay, this is a way to communicate, oh, and get to bed. This is important because it's about this lifestyle kind of wheel, flywheel, if you will. So I really appreciate that. And, and you know, you talk a lot about maybe anxiety and, and depression. These are, you know, it's like explaining the shades of green. How many, I mean, there's like how many, right? So we know that this is variations, but maybe we could dive down a little bit into you know, this thing of, is it our technology? You know, is it that uh, we're we're too sedentary now? Is it genetic? Like what's going on? Is it this, that now it's an awareness? It's like, for example, when I grew up, nobody committed suicide. And so now like my experience, I actually had three people, two very close to me um, about five years ago, three in one year. And I never knew anyone that committed suicide. Right. So I guess what I'm, I would love to hear from you is, is it just more like, oh, it's an option to be depressed or say I'm anxious um, because it's it's spoken about. Like, what was that stupid show, 13 Reasons Why or whatever? Oh, yeah. I watched I mean, that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I was like, part of me was like, oh, so this is a really good way to get everyone back. Right. So what do you yeah. think is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... As you're describing, right, even getting your arms around such a complex question sort of gives whispers to the answer, right, which is that it's really super multi-determined. Like, there are so many factors pressing 
down on us now. And we live in this world where kind of everything is available to us. And yet we're, and especially now, like we're timestamped this, we're taping this during a pandemic and um, people are disconnected and people have their, you're coming into this period of time in your life um, with your own, the, when we spoke earlier, your own genetic vulnerabilities. They're not a destiny, but they are a vulnerability. And then, you know, with kids, I mean, you just add in that the brain of a child that grew up with this level of technology epigenetically shaping their brain, their brain, how their brain works. I mean, my child's brain works so differently than mine did. I mean, I, there are places and pockets where I can barely talk to him because he just knows more than me now mm. in terms of like, like I, if I couldn't get on this call today, I would have had to have asked oh, him, you know, for sure. Um, <laughs> totally. So I think it's really, it is multi-determined, but I can only talk anecdotally from yeah. the stuff that I see coming, first of all, just my own process in life, mm-hmm. right? First and foremost. And then vaguely speaking, the themes that I see coming in and out of my office, right? And the relationships that I build in my practice. And people are really overwhelmed. They're super disconnected. They struggle for balance. It's hard to make a living. Everything is really expensive. And then you layer in now a pandemic, right? And children feel this. Children, you know, they respond, they feel this. This is the world that they are growing up in. But, you know, when I was a kid, I only knew one person by the time I was like 16 or 17, I knew one person who had committed suicide. I didn't know a single solitary human that ever spoke about being anxious. By college, I knew one friend clearly was struggling with anxiety. I don't know if we just came from a generation where it was like suffer in silence, get over yourself. I don't know really how to answer that. I know this. I know that there was a huge period of time in my in, in the world that I was trained in, in clinical psychology, where my opinion is that we were over-diagnosing everything. And it became that everything was something, right? And obviously, that's sort of just part and parcel as you mature as a field and you become more nuanced and you understand the brain and biology and the interplay with our psychology, our culture, your gender, et cetera. Can, but, can, I, can I make a yes. quick note? So for people who have, especially maybe someone moving into their tweens or teens, we had a situation with one of our daughters where she went through a pretty heavy time. And then we started going until we found the right situation for us. And I always encourage people to, when they go to seek help, it's okay to say that that's not for you. Like find help and be your own advocate. So the first place that we went to. And it was, like I said, it was pretty serious. And uh, there was a lot of labels within the first eight eight days. Oh, you're this, you're this, you're this. And I was like, okay, can we not label my daughter yet? Like, can we just let her be? And then uh, maybe she'll work herself out of it. Because to your point about this over-diagnosing, then all of a sudden you tell them that. It'd be like you saying to me, oh, Gabby, you know, you, uh, it's like in training. Oh, you're not fast. Oh, you're not flexible. Then you go, well, I guess I'm not fast, but maybe I just yep. need to train differently and I'll get fast. Who knows? Yeah. 
No, I, I just want to say to people who, if they're going through anything, first of all, not because you went to the first person someone suggested that they're the ones for you or that modality is for you, that type of treatment or therapy. And also be really careful not to let people label the shit out of your kids, uh, including us, right? We even do that. Like, oh, she's the funny one. She's the smart one. He's the da-da-da. It's like, we're a lot of things. It was a really valuable lesson for me because I, I remember feeling like, oh, I'm supposed to, I don't know this. So I'm supposed to just be the student here. And then after a while- well, That's a, a win too. When we talked about modeling earlier, and this is how safe period, it's the most informative and influential style of learning that sapiens are subject to, which is called modeling. And it's not through reading and learning and all these, you know, practice is great, but modeling rules the roost. And so it's a win because your child got to see you, first of all, advocate for her. And second of all, have a really strong voice against somebody who should have been an authority. And if we need any more information than when we look at like the gymnastics scandal or the Catholic church scandal or... Uh, you know, I, I I could keep going down the list, yeah. but anybody listening gets it. We realize that modeling to our children too much subservience to a expert can often have disastrous results over their capacity for self advocacy, and so that's just a win that that's in there now. You can't take that, right? She saw that. That's what modeling is. She got to see. Now we play the long game with parenting, right? So, you know, you hope by, let's be conservative and say 25 (laughs) to 35, you start to see these patterns, the positive unconscious foundation that we laid down through our own behavior. Um, You start to see these patterns emerge. Now we also start to see the other shit emerge too, but that's, you know, we'll keep this one happy. So that's a win that she got to see that. I totally agree. It's what led me to actually, like probably about maybe 10 years ago, I started to become really interested in like, if we didn't, if I didn't focus on pathology, what would happen with my, they were patients at the time, patients, if I just focused on wellness, I just simply turned our attention toward all the pockets of strength in their personality. Instead of spending sessions looking at where things went wrong, what if I just spoke to them, everything that they said as a deficit, I just did it with you, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I highlighted simply the win. Like what if you just highlighted the win? What would people start to identify with? And sure enough, the vessel lands where you point it. And people began, at least within my practice, to be likewise looking at wellness, looking at their strengths. What can you do? Mm. There's so much you can't do. You can't change so much of the shit that goes on in our life. We are Mm. subject to it, right? But there's pockets where we have serious power and let's find them because otherwise we're fucked. I mean, we're fucked. And so, you know, I I really agree with you. It sat awkwardly for me as a shrink. I was like, I don't want to do this for 50 years. I don't want to continue to have this conversation about um, the myriad of ways we can be unwell and what those illnesses are called. 
Yeah. And you talk, you talk a lot about a practice and I don't want to leave the unhappiness or depression topic because I I really am sensitive to that people are experiencing this, but I'd actually like, like sort of redirect it to when you talk about, first of all, more often than not, when people have sort of decent, and it'd be hard to say like a higher mental health, but you're saying that the qualities are, uh, you know, a high psychological, like they're flexible, psychological flexibility. Maybe we can drill down on what that means. And the other thing was a better tolerance or a higher tolerance for ambiguity. Maybe you could drill down on those. And if somebody's sitting there and thinking, I think I gained a lot of things through having a really uh, erratic childhood. So I had to kind of right the ship a little bit on my own because people weren't really there. But then sports helped me to try to lean it towards positive, right? Instead of overcompensating and getting, because my tendency is to be so rigid, which will get you. Like, oh, it'll get you just like unstructured. It'll, it'll kick, kick your you ass. down. It'll yeah. take you. And, and I have a kid in particular who's very sensitive. So check this out. She would say to me, the look in my eye was she translated, she goes, she said this to me finally as she was older, I misconstrued your expectation for yourself, meaning for me, as the expectation you had for me. Because I am, I'm hard on myself, right? And I've got to show up and I, I do set pretty very strict rules on myself about how to conduct myself, respond, all these things. But even within it, it's rigid. Like I've had to learn, how do I make this a more natural occurrence where I go, oh, let me think about this, not well, I don't like to be angry and I don't want to be judgmental. So I'm going to force myself. It's like, no, let it go. Like, how do you learn to do that? So maybe you could drill down on, on those two things. And then you, you talk about, you know, people hear the words meditation and, you know, stillness and things like that. But I think they don't understand. Like for me, I use the car. I turn the radio off when I am alone. I just use it to check in. Like, hey, how am I feeling? So people have to realize when you say this practice of stillness, because I think it's a really powerful tool that you're sharing. And it's funny because it's free and you can do it anywhere. I think sometimes people don't realize like, no, it seriously is. <laughs> like, it's like available to you on contact. Yes. And it's gold. It is the real gold. It, it you know, and so maybe we could just visit those because I think it does get overwhelming and having these pillars of practice, whether it's sleep and exercise and nutrition and hydration and stillness, but also reminding people about psychological flexibility and, and being okay with like, we don't know. I know that's the hardest. Yes. So psychological flexibility is like critical. And by the way, the thing, the reason I continue to emphasize in parenting, how important the wins are like where they see us apologize or you check in the next day and say like, Hey, um, you know, I struck out like, Mm -hmm. oops, you know, um, all those things, because that shows flexibility. That's by the way, how we model flexibility. It's not, um, it's not mysterious. It's not opaque. It's like a behavior. You're, you're showing this kind of flexibility and it is a nuance again, because this is everything sort of good dwells in the nuance because we also do need kind of strong leadership. We need to know that somebody's in charge, but psychological flexibility is essentially the capacity to feel what you're experiencing, process it, be able to have the tools 
and the tactics and the strategies. This is what people would call hacks, right? They're how we build our habits. They're not hacks. They're actually just hard work. But these tools and these tactics and these strategies to offset the intensity of it, to expect that we wouldn't have intensity is to do that narrowing of the aperture of our emotional ability. And we think, oh, I'll just narrow down like in, in the, the shitty intensity. But it closes like the aperture on a camera. So the fine print is that once you start being intolerant of any dis intense discomfort, you have given up the right and the capacity to feel bliss and love and connectedness because it closes proportionally. This is what we mean when we say we're comfortably numb. Mm. So for me, a lot of times we're trying to sort of leverage our strengths and we are trying to develop tolerance for the things in life that are really hard for us. We're not trying to avoid them. I don't have anything against like the positivity movement and the gratitude movement and even the manifesting movement. And I think that those movements have done a lot in terms of helping people shift perspective and get a practice of how you do that. But that's not the type of mindfulness that we're talking about, right? No. We're talking about being present in your own relationship with yourself unguided in that sense. This is a John Kabat-Zinn sort of mindfulness-based stress reduction philosophy. So there's no mantra, there's no music, there's no nothing. If you really want to start to get toe to toe with yourself, yeah. you're going to have to become still for some amount of time every day in that relationship. I suggest doing it 10 minutes, but it's super practical. You can Turn the car radio off and do it while you drive. You don't have to be like in namaste with like sage burning and a chime bowl happening. That's great if you're capable of doing that. But actually, I don't want the chime bowl because that will direct your neurobiology in a way that I don't want it to do. I just want to see sort of what happens when you are alone in your own relationship with yourself. And this is the, the, the biggest return on investment. If you did nothing else after listening to this podcast and just said, for 365 days, I'm going to spend 10 minutes alone with myself every single solitary day, no excuses. At the end, you would have a different level of psychological flexibility. You would have a different level of self-awareness. And as a byproduct of self-awareness, you change your relationship to self-regulation in that moment between stimulus and response. That blink, it's less than a blink. A blink is a generous vacation compared to how long you actually have to try to pivot. And so it's really, that's that muscle. For me, it's one of the most important things that I try to work on with anybody that I work with. And ambiguity follows because like I've said this for a bunch of years now, like stillness changed me in ways that movement never did. And movement arguably in my teens and my twenties kept me from being a complete and absolute delinquent period. Um, totally. And so what I'm not saying is, oh, movement never changed me that much. It profoundly shaped me. It's a part of who I am deep down. 
but stillness did something and continues to do something for me that just movement could never, ever, ever do. And mostly it gave me this capacity to tolerate that I don't really have an ounce of control outside of this next breath and the next decision that I'm making. I could be dead tomorrow morning. You could get an email that's like, there's been a horrible accident. It's awful, right? I have no control past that. And um, for most of us, the truth is what you're really going to find when you get super honest and clear with yourself is that all of our stuff around rigidity or control and the opposite of surrender or flexibility, it's really about fear and being afraid that you're you know not going to know how to do it or not be able to survive it or do it wrong or in our, the case that we were talking about earlier fuck our kids up so it's pretty much everything it's like this is the game isn't it ironic though how much time we spend in these two places on something that we're not in control of like if we looked at our life and we had it in a graph and it would be like all this time that we spend on stuff that anticipating and wanting this control but it wasn't even you know, necessary. I think that's why sometimes when something happens, that's very tough, whether it's when you're young or when you're older in a marriage or whatever, it's almost like sometimes when you're some of the worst quote, I put it in quotes, things happen and you're like, I'm okay. I can survive it. I'll deal with it. If it actually ever happens, it's something very liberating about that. Um, oh, it's total freedom. It is. And we only get, we only get glimpses of it. It's oh. like you, you get it. And then it's like opaque and it's gone again. And you're like, oh my God, but I had it. Yeah. And then you get the lesson that you you can't even hang on to that. That's even kind of a mirage. Yeah. Um, also, you, you bring up a really good point that oftentimes what I, I, I see this a lot when somebody has been orbiting around addiction. And a lot of times there's a real practical moment and the relationship is beautiful, right? There's a beautiful, transformative, painful madness to when you're orbiting around addiction. And um, there's this woman that does a great job of explaining this. Her name's Laura McCowan, and her book is fantastic if this is resonating with you, not just about substance use, whatever your thing is. And the reality is that down, not so far down, you know, really not so far down is that they get to this place where they realize in that pie chart, they just get tired. They literally tire out of how much energy it has consumed from them. And they finally can see it. Oh my God, this is the cost benefit analysis, right? There's real, like, that's the moment. And everybody grapples with something like that. Whatever your thing is, sex, money, power, um, yeah. well, I think, lying. Don't you think all of this, I feel like sometimes that's why I love being in self-care or talking about science or wellness, because you realize biologically, we've got some things hardwired in us that living in a modern day, it kind of shows up in really wonky ways. And I, I don't know, I think we're actually, the narrative has been said that, oh, we're supposed to be happy. 
And I think we're actually anxious, uptight beings, biological beings that are set so that we can actually just survive living here. Survive. That's it. And so it's like getting people to realize like, okay, so you're just always bridging those two stories and happy. How about peace now and again and happy? Like, okay, that's what. And how about grief? I wouldn't give up grief. You know, like I, I, I lost my mother 10 years ago. I've been grieving Mm. that relationship ever since. I wouldn't be half the woman Mm. had I not gotten in 18 rounds with that emotion, but also happy, good, pretty, skinny, <laughs> smart. They're just cages. I know. It's just another cage. It is. That you're then trying to, you know, that's how the disease to please starts. It's like, I got to be good. I got to be happy. I got to be pretty. I got to be young. I mean, oh, yeah. women, oh, we got, we got to be young. Right. Um, and um, these are just cages. Yeah. They're just, they're just another form of a cage that um, ultimately, you know, you end up either rattling the cage or getting the fuck out of it. Yeah. And, and it, it also makes me think about like, okay, so if you have a new baby and let's say somebody nurses and you watch your child and, you know, we, we start out with this intense impulse. So is it, like you said, like, is it sex? Is it food? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? For me, I've had to check my exercise trip because it's like, we're always redirecting this intense sort of obsessiveness. And so do you have, you know, an idea about, you know, just paying attention to that? Like, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to hide in my busyness or my exerciseness. I'm actually just going to, maybe that's where the stillness really is impactful. Cause it's like, I'm just going to sit with it. So I don't have to redirect this natural upset. We have this impulsive way. We're going to fill it with, with something. Um, Cause people are like, they're so healthy. And I'm like, yeah, but they're off the, the, the ranch too. The rails. Yeah. With, oh, yeah. they, they exercise. It's they called don't eat- orthorexia. We got a name for it. Go figure. Yeah. And like, oh, I've, I can't eat blueberries. I already had a cup of fruit. It's like, oh my gosh. You know, like, so I guess it's also just bringing up that reminder of, I find that the stillness helps me even notice myself trying to find something to hide in uh, because it's just normal and, and be like, yeah. oh, look at, you're trying to hide and work and exercise and, you know. Yeah. You know, I agree. I mean, we all attach to something. That's it. We attach to things. That's what we do. Ideas, images, political parties, religious affiliations, humans, chemicals, money. We just attach. That's what we're we're constantly, you know, attaching to concepts and things. And um, yeah, I mean, stillness, like if we're going to just talk practical, right? Stillness, like just start tomorrow, keep yes. doing it more days than not observe how you even, so what I tell everybody who works with me, yeah. <laughs> um, and I obviously have a vested interest in people doing this kind of self-awareness because it's job security, but I always tell people, look, we're going to dwell in two worlds. Okay. We're going to dwell at the behavioral level. You're going to, I'm going to tell you to read stuff. I'm going to tell you to try stuff. I'm going to use the word practice so much. You're going to want to puke. and you're going to try to do all these tasks. And then we're going to dwell um, in this observational world. And that the tasks that I tell you to do are only a ruse for us to observe you in the process of the doing. So then I can start to, instead of saying, hey, what's your relationship like with rigidness? Like, 
kind of bullshit is that? You're going to, you're on, your adaptive unconscious is going to do exactly what it's been designed to do, which is create some sort of PR campaign that, you know, manages, you know, on one hand, shame and on the other hand, bragging. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come up with a campaign. So is mine. But if I don't ask the question and I just quietly observe and can then make observations, we both see it plain as day and pretty damn quickly. So, and that's yeah, like live. No, that's like live and in real time. Because what's interesting is you can get up somewhere and it could be like the heaviest story of all. And people are like, that's so vulnerable. Or I've, I've done that. Like I share my story and they go, thanks for that vulnerability. And I go, no, I'm actually recounting. If I'm being honest, to your point, I'm just recounting events. I'm not being vulnerable. Vulnerable would be that you asked me a question I didn't know was coming. I was surprised. And then I shared. And so I think that that's also uh, really important where people think, oh, I'm being open and vulnerable. It's like, no, you're not. And going through those processes catches you in those surprise moments where you're like, no, this is how I feel right now today as who I am, which is different than recounting. Well, when I was a kid and da, 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 it's like, okay. And there's no greater place of vulnerability than when you're alone with yourself. Hmm. Like you are just nose to nose with your own fucking stuff, right? And it's like, that's vulnerability. Vulnerability can happen interpersonally. It's reparative and corrective if it's managed well, most of the time again. But vulnerability does not mean like oversharing. It doesn't mean over calculated recounts of stories. And those are entertaining. We learn through stories. So those are valuable ways that people can convey important you know, concepts. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's different. It's very different. But, you know, if we're talking like really sort of the practical is like, so mindfulness, like just start. Yeah. And like, you know, if the thing of like being still in your own relationship with yourself with no um, mantra, no nothing is too much. And I would argue let's define too much because right there we already now have information about your level of psychological flexibility and capacity to tolerate ambiguity. But so it's done its job, right? Already I'm observing. Oh, I I can't do that. And, you know, I grew up in Boston where I live now, but I lived for 10 years in Hawaii. So I've had two drastically different cultures. Same response from every single person that I ever, present company first, foremost in this line. Same response. Everybody has reasons why they can't do it, right? And eventually, because I'm relentless, I'll wear them down. And lo and behold, the stuff starts to sort of come up. So mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. But don't let my style stop you. Don't use me as the excuse. <laughs> Try something else. Um, and also observe that it's just, what do you mean? Oh, I, I'm not good at that. Like, so what's good? Define good. Yeah. And there's no rabbit hole where you're going to outwit me. Like I've yeah. got all the, you know, and also there's just basic principles that I take from my athletic days. It's just time under tension. So like, what are you capable of? Is it 30 seconds? Mm. Great. Do 30 seconds. Tomorrow, try to do 45. Yeah. The next day, try to do a minute. It's just time under tension. It's yeah. not Right. It's not pass or fail, good or bad. It's, and it's not mysterious. No, it's not. It's a practice. And what I find, and you see this in the in that science of happiness, is that practice, that muscle, when you get better at it, it just all gets easier. It does you know? get easier. It does. It even gets, even yeah. looking at the crap, 
looks easier. Like even when yeah. you're like, ooh, that's so ugly about myself. Yeah. And okay, let's take a look at that. Yeah. And like when we talk, like, I mean, we could go on and on, like, because when we look at like perfectionism, the things that sort of stop people, that's just shameism. That's lipstick on the pig of shame. That's all it is. We just call it perfectionism because it makes us feel good to be like, no, I just really like things perfect. It's like, no, no, you are at an intersection like the rest of us where you think your self-worth, whatever it is, lovableness, good enough, fill in the blank, you know, manly enough, strong enough, smart enough, whatever it is, you think it's reliant on having all the pegs perfectly in place because it's a self-worth issue. It's a worthiness discussion. And so all of this really surfaces from that. But then there's like tons of things that you can do at the behavioral level. I know like we're both sauna people. Um, my sauna, I call it my womb. And I get like, not everybody can afford a sauna. I understand this is a talk right now that's like already placed me in a spot of privilege. I get it. The trolls don't have to come out on YouTube. I get it. The pandemic will pass and there's gyms, there's public places that have saunas for not a lot of money. There's a hot tub. Rhonda Patrick does a great discussion on, I forget which podcast she was on. She talks about some of the emerging research on a hot tub, just anything Mm -hmm. that's heat. Again, I love it because I love it. It's time under tension. You will build the tolerance for it. It is a practice, but what a great, same with cold therapy. What a great way to come nose to nose with all your unconscious bullshit than to be in something that's uncomfortable. So I often sort of prescribe these practices because I don't care if you do heat therapy. Like, you know, I don't care if you get in the cold tub with the ice. What I care about is seeing where's your mind go? Where's it go? Like when it goes and it starts to wander, where does it go? And we only got a certain amount of time together. So like, I can't wait forever to see that. We got to artificially create these opportunities. But like sunrise sunrise and sunset light, these are easy, cheap, renewable ways that you can drastically improve your relationship with yourself, your deep relationship with yourself. Obviously, food is a shoe-in. And by the way, one that is, I think, woefully underlooked at is hydration. Most of us are underhydrated. Absolutely. We yep, are underhydrated and we are drinking juice and soda and all kinds of things that they are liquid. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean this deeper layer of hydration right. is happening. Um and well, so there's and you yeah, talk about oh, that gap between, you know, when you when you respond I just think hydration adds one half of a quarter of a blink longer for your response because your systems, your systems functioning better, your cells are processing better, whatever. I mean, we could get into it, but I think it's people go like, oh, that's just, you know, silly talk. But it's, again, it's one more thing you can do to support that, uh, that desire to say, okay, I've had something happen. I would like to respond I'd like to create space so that I can respond in a way that I actually really think I would feel now. And even in like six weeks from right now, you know? Yeah, Um, no, I agree. And I mean, the perfect example there is like, when you look at somebody who's like chronically dehydrated, their skin is really, um, it really is reflected in the skin. And as they become more hydrated, 
their skin looks more supple. The same thing happens inside of us. We become sort of more, uh, you, you have more access to the resources that wouldn't be, same thing with food. If you eat a bunch of sugar and then you think to yourself, well, I don't know, you know, why I felt so bad tonight, right? It's like, you don't like, well, let's kind of, mm-hmm. let's not pathologize. Let's just look at some of the sort of simple things that may be contributing to it. And it's amazing how, when you do that, people feel better for the most part. And like, I get yes. it. Like the other thing is like, look, I am a trained, licensed psychologist. I spent, I got a doctorate. I have a master's. I spent years training in psychiatric hospitals and prisons all over the state of Massachusetts. I understand pathology. I am not saying that, you know, with some supplements and exercise, we can correct every psychiatric expression that humans are vulnerable to. Um, But I am saying that well, this statistic, the statistic that Americans consume 66% of all the psychiatric medication manufactured in the world, yeah. I believe firmly yeah. we could shave that down we could to do at better. least 50%. We can do better. Yeah. And the, down, we, you know? and the downside of that is, besides them feeling like they're imprisoned and they can't participate in that, um, is the other health you know, side effects. I always say there's a difference between being uh, eating a donut and feeling depressed. And the thing is when you don't, when you don't feel good enough long enough, you actually don't know, like I can eat something. And within 20 minutes, I know like, Oh, that totally screwed me up. And I'm feeling now I feel shitty. Now I'm actually, I don't think I like anyone at this moment. And I feel, I feel lethargic and all these things. So if nothing else, again, it's that, it's that tool. Okay. So Again, I, I could go on and on because I have so many other things. And maybe if you have time, um, we could get into like relationships and things like that. I would like to end it up with just sort of two. I'm just curious. We were talking earlier about, I was saying I was feeling a little bit out of touch. I would say to the group sort of 35 and younger. And what I mean by that is, and I say this like in the most, open armed way, which is peace and love, peace and love. Yeah. I don't say it. It's like an observation. Like if I'm spending stillness and like looking at myself, I'm like, wow, I feel really out of touch. I'm not relating to some of the way it's going down. And, and, and having said that, I do believe that the majority of people's opinions are not represented in the sort of public arena narrative, like the news. I don't think, I think most of us feel very differently. I think most of us like each other, want to have positive interactions. I think we're all, I just, so I, I sort of, I'm not putting that out there, I guess with technology and this, the way things are getting done and the speed I'm trying to figure out, and this is the question, what could I do at somebody at my age? What sort of practice to learn to try to to have a deeper understanding of how, what the world is that they face than the world I faced, because it it was in some ways easier. And yeah, you meddled up and you had to suck it up. And, you know, there's different things. Like I moved out. That seems easier than like being shamed and humiliated on Instagram, right? Like being shunned by like your four person click in high school seems Uh. so rookie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's so, see, this is what I mean. Like 
maybe if you had, if you just had a point, because my desire is not only to keep expanding, but to try to get it. I live on the planet with a bunch of people that I would like to connect with and continue to connect with. And I can, but I would like to do it even better. Um, and I feel like it's only going to accelerate. Yeah. I mean, you specifically, right? Like in general, here's what I would say is engage in conversation, mm. like, you know, difficult dialogue, get in there. And you're somebody who has plenty of practice because that's sort of a family trait. And um, so like have the conversations and for you in particular, you know, you have this platform. It's like, you know, they're out there. That yeah. generation is out there and they're probably ready to talk. And there's probably space to really invite in and and have us understand because you know I'm 45, so that's like uh, that whole generate. I mean, I mean, I didn't dating get a cell phone, online dating, I didn't get a cell phone. Oh my god, I didn't get a cell phone till I was leaving for my doctoral program. I was leaving Boston to go live in Washington D.C., yeah. and I was 27 years old. So. You know, I, I'm a different creature, kind of like you are, yeah. right? And but I would say engage in the conversation, have the difficult conversations. I think anytime my natural instinct is when something baffles me, yeah. my natural instinct is like, oh wow, like I want to go. That's why I went into forensics. I was like, I couldn't. I was so fascinated by people who were struggling with that level of self-regulation. I was like, what is influencing it? What is happening? Right? Like I changed my practice five or six years ago from being almost all women to almost all men in response to the Me Too movement. I was like, this is baffling. Like what is, we cannot be at a place as a species where we're just going to say, it's just, it's just all of them suck. They're just born shitty. They're born shitty and privileged and reckless and they take what they want. I refuse, right? So for me, as like somebody who's just fascinated by the human condition, like I was like, there's got to be a story back there. Like Mm. there's tales to tell and I'm going to get because I got to understand what's happening here. So with that same type of curiosity, we can grow to understand. And I think we are as a culture, we're really starting to see how these technological advances have shaped a generation. We're on the second generation. Oh yeah. We're on generation 2.0 of this. Uh, Our kids, our 12 year olds were born into the eye of the storm, right? I always say they're Um, almost like, I've had joke. I've had like personal jokes where I'm like, you know what? It's probably, it's just an experiment. That whole generation, we should just, it's, I'll cut the loss. Like I'm joking as a parent though. I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's the kid that's like, okay, well that they got the yeah. experiment. Cause we didn't know what was going on, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, TikTok, help me out. Oh, I mean, I, that's where I'm glad <laughs> I have a boy, right? Cause that seems like a largely female kind well, of. Space. Yeah. Cause, and at least they say with the games, like they're cooperative, they're social. Like you think, yeah. Oh, I don't want them blowing anyone's head off. And then you hear like, well, which is where uh, it's like, a, this is the stuff I, I'm, I would like to have more compassion and more understanding instead of the defined. Well, that just seems wrong. Yeah. 
right? Like, just don't do it. Cause yeah. it's an impulse. I mean, so I have to, yeah. I can't, I can't do that. I mean, I could do that, but I, I can't and do that. talk about like coming to terms with rigidness. Right. So like I lean toward that also my friend, my, I have this really close friend. She's also a shrink. She always says like, you like plug in at night, you just decide you're going to do something. And that's that it's like that you're just relentlessly moving toward it. And there's a rigidness to that. Yeah. You know, it feels very yeah. glamorous and you know, people are like, Oh, you're so determined. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, you try to do like a half an afternoon in this body. And you tell me, how that feels. Yeah. Um, but I will say again, when I think about it, like my son being a child of this generation and he forces me to have these conversations around tech and have a debate about whether or not you're getting call of duty. I mean, these are the conversations I am having. He's like, I don't want grand theft auto. They, they let you rape in that yeah. video game. That's not <laughs> what I'm, I'm like. Oh my God. Okay. I guess we're going to have multi okay, so, multi-pronged conversation. But do you see what I'm saying? This is why. So, okay. Well, so uh, gosh, it's, you know, I always think that if you want whatever it is that we, I believe it's all like the messiness of it is really the beauty and the, the beauty and, and just really going into that. Cause you think, Oh, I'm a failure. It's like, no, no, you're in the messiness. And as long as you're willing to get up every day and, you know, be honest and say, sorry, when you blew it and, and say, you know what, I'll look at that or work at it. We talked, we talked about that, but is there anything else? Um, well, first of all, I'll, everything will be shared, but how, where can everyone find you, Dr. Sarkis? I have a website, drsarasarkis.com. You can find me there. I also do consulting work with the Flow Research Collective, which is how we found each other. And, you know, everything is there to yep. find me. Yep. And and speaking of technology, one of the good things is people using technology to help with flow and other things. So, you know, I have a, a very close friend. He's like, it's a tool. And I'm like, yes, okay, so's a hammer. But, you know, <laughs> it's if we have the self-control to use it more often as a tool than as like a, an escape. <laughs> the only word I would tweak is self-control. I would say self-regulation. Okay. I never say control. I'll say influence or self-regulation. Okay. It's just a messy space in there. Yep. Um, but oh, interesting. Yes, it's this, it's the self-regulation and you know, it's, I love that. it takes a lifetime. Like when we think about little kids using it, it's totally different than, well, I, I should say this. When I look at my own sort of street fight with managing tech. Yeah. It's really clear to me why it's super hard for kids. Cause I'm a grown adult with like yeah. half a shot. I can take half a crack at self-regulation at this mm -hmm. point. And I mean, I would be, I would be in juvie. I would have been in juvie. I would have been thrown out of my high school. I would have been, I just would have been a delinquent. My sure. life would have gone a totally yeah. different route. So yes, it's true. Mm. It is a tool. And like all tools, you turn that same coin over and mm. it's going to be your biggest liability, right? Yep. So, yep. you know, to be yep. continued. Do you have any last sort of thoughts or reminders or invitations to people that feel important to you? Yes. So if you're remotely interested in the work that we're talking about, it is doable and it is doable both in partnership, right? That's the stuff I do. It's the stuff you guys do. It's available, but it's available to you for free just with yourself. 
And it doesn't have to be elaborate and it doesn't have to be expensive. And, you know, be curious, just observe and be curious. And you will pretty quickly start to see your own kind of patterns emerge. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Sarkis. I really appreciate you and the work you're doing and your point of view. I just, uh, you know, it's like messy as good as we can get it is like, I think I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.